this morning, I would like you to turn to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 9. Mark, chapter 9. Mark, chapter 9, as we are continuing to go through, uh, to journey through the, uh, let's go ahead and put that first graphic up here, as we continue to go through the, uh, this journey of, uh, of, of really focusing on the ministries, or the, the life and the ministry of Jesus as we see in the Gospel of Mark. It is the most sequential of Gospels. Um, and, you know, I, I have to say, as we have gone through this, as we have gone through the Gospel of Mark, I am reminded how um, the moments of Jesus' life, the moments of Jesus' life are, are not just standalone events. Let me say that again. The moments of Jesus' life are more than standalone events. And I, I have to say that I'm maybe partly to blame with this myself and a lot of others who perhaps communicate God's Word, but we, tend, we have the tendency, I think, to, to, to look at this event of Jesus and then the next week we go on to another event or we, we even, as, even as little children, uh, we, we learn the stories of the Bible, but sometimes, and, and all true, all very, very good, all exciting, all have great truths for us, but sometimes we fail to make the connection between the stories, the connection or the sequence, how one life event, one of the events of Jesus' ministry had a direct correlation to another event, or the consequences of something that was done earlier has the result, or the consequences are much later. And so you see this interconnectedness, and if you really think about it, that's kind of our lives, isn't it? Our walk with Jesus Christ, it's not just standalone events while I was saved and then I was baptized and I was filled with the Holy Spirit or I was, uh, you know, God healed me. And, and they're, they're, they're all connected and often in a, in a bit of a sequence. And we're seeing this here in the gospel. And you're going to see it, in fact, today, uh, this interconnectedness with events that happened prior to this. The first half of Mark chapter 9 the first half covers one remarkable day. <laughs> one really remarkable day. Last Sunday, if you were here last Sunday, some of you were traveling because of Labor Day and so forth, but last Sunday we looked at the earlier part of that one remarkable day. It's when Jesus, the Bible tells us, Jesus took three of his disciples, he had 12, he, take, he took three of them, Peter, James, and John, and he takes them up to a high mountain. When they arrived at the top of the mountain, the Bible tells us in the early verses of chapter 9, the Bible tells us that those disciples, those three disciples, observed three amazing things in rapid succession. The first thing that they saw was Jesus' appearance taking on a physical transformation. The word that is used is transfigured. Here's a really fancy word, although I think you'll make the connection. Here's a really fancy Greek word that, that is translated transfigured. It is the word metamor metamorphose. It is the word from which we get metamorphosis. Jesus morphed. Jesus changed. Jesus was transfigured. Jesus' physical appearance was dramatically altered. His face and his clothing were changed. His, his humanity was briefly peeled back to reveal his divinity. Well, wouldn't that be something to see? 
if you were one of those three disciples. And they did. They saw it. The second, in rapid succession, the second thing, amazing thing, they saw was the appearance of two long-gone persons from their history, Moses and Elijah, two of the uh, premier leaders, one a leader, one a prophet from the Old Testament, who had come to speak with Jesus about his own departure. So the first thing they see is Jesus rapidly transforming, metamorphosizing, uh, and, and then they see Moses and Elijah standing there. That's a pretty big deal. The third and perhaps most amazing thing that happened earlier that day was God spoke from heaven saying of Jesus, this is my beloved son, listen to him. Listen, it is a pretty big day. It's a pretty amazing day when you see Jesus physically altered, two heroes from the past, and God speaking out of heaven. It's like a trifecta of glorious moments. I mean, this is a day that if you didn't enter logs into a diary, you would start the diary that day. Never believe what I saw today. And you'd write it down. Three amazing things in rapid succession. Verse 9 records they came down from the mountain. The, the three disciples, I'm sure in their minds, they're trying to process all of the things that, 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 that they have just experienced. I, I explain it like this. If you have a, a computer, particularly an Apple computer, if the processor gets overloaded, you get that little spinning uh, umbrella, colorful umbrella, and it means just hold on a minute, I can't think it all through. I think that's what was happening. They had a little spinning umbrella in their mind. They were going, wow, imagine what we just saw. Well, that all leads into the next event. Verse 14 reads this way. And when they came to the disciples, let me just pause. In other words, when the three disciples who were with Jesus came to where the other disciples, the other nine disciples were, that's what's happening here. When they came to the disciples, they saw a great crowd around them and scribes arguing with them. And immediately all the crowd, when they saw him, were greatly amazed and ran up to him and greeted him. And Jesus asked them, what are you arguing about with them? And someone from the crowd answered him, teacher, I brought my son to you, for he has a spirit that makes him mute. Whenever it seizes him, it throws him down and he foams and grinds his teeth and becomes rigid. So I asked your disciples to cast it out and they were not able. And he answered them, O faithless generation, how long am I to be, how, how long am I to be with you? How long am I to bear with you? Bring him to me. I'm just going to pause there. Again, verse 14, we read it a moment ago. Verse 14 tells us that Jesus and the three disciples, fresh off the mountain, were reconnecting with the other nine disciples. We know what the three disciples have just seen. And now they're meeting up with the other nine. And what were those nine disciples doing? What were the nine disciples who Jesus left behind, what were they doing? They were dealing with a crowd arguing with critics, a demon-possessed boy was thrashing about, the boy's father wondered why they couldn't help, 
and the disciples wondered why nothing they did worked. I, I have read through Mark so many times. I've read through the Gospel of Mark many times. I've read this account many times, and I never noticed the contrasts. I never noticed the contrast between these two events that happened on the same day. Peter, James, and John were coming off the mountain of amazing moments to find the other nine disciples immersed in a huge mess. Same day, one extreme to the other. I don't know, maybe you noticed that I never did. As I was studying this, I was reminded of, of that opening line to Charles Dickens' great work, A Tale of Two Cities, and it simply says this, it was the best of times and it was the worst of times. That's what I thought of when I read this. Peter, James, and John coming off the mountain and they come into this mess that the other disciples are dealing with. By the way, backing up just a little bit, as they were coming down from the mountain, after the disciples had seen these three amazing things, uh, Jesus told the three disciples that they were to remain silent. They were, they were to say nothing about what they had just seen until Jesus had died and been resurrected. So we know what happened, but they, they, they were sworn to secrecy. Don't tell anyone until I am, Jesus said, I am raised from the dead. Now, Jesus had a greater purpose in keeping them quiet, but I'm, I'm thinking even on this day, particularly on this day, it was a good thing they said nothing at this point. Because if the three disciples revealed their amazing adventure, I don't think it would have gone over very well with the other nine. How many know what I'm talking about? Think about this. Because when you have a mess on your hands, you don't want to hear about someone else's big moments. You ever been there? I mean, you're going through something and you're having just a horrible day. You're having a whole series of horrible events happening in your life. And then somebody comes in and goes, Whoa, man, I'm having a great day. You want to slap them. How many know what I'm talking about? You've been there? <laughs> My imagination can run a little bit wild. And I was imagining what. What would have happened? Now, Peter, you know, if anybody, had Jesus not told him to be quiet, you know who would have said something. It would have been Peter. Because Peter was always like, yeah, let me talk. I'll, I'll say it even if I don't think first. I imagine Peter saying something like this. <laughs> you know, he gets to the bottom of the mountain. He sees these, his, the other nine who didn't go up to the mountain. I, I imagine Peter saying something like this. <laughs> oh, guys i got to tell you, it was an amazing day. We saw Jesus glow. We saw Moses and Elijah. They showed up and they were talking to Jesus. And, and oh, oh, and one more thing, God spoke to us out of heaven. <laughs> and his brother, Andrew, who was also one of the disciples, one of the nine who stayed behind, would say something like this, well, whoop-de-doo, Peter. <laughs> Jesus wasn't here when we wanted him. You got Elijah and Moses, and we got a demoniac. God spoke to you, but all we've heard are hard questions and critics. You ever have occasion like that? Where you hear of the wonderful things that are happening with someone, the good things that are happening in someone else's life, and you look at your own life and you're going, wow, what went wrong? 
And, and, it's not, and it's often not just one thing that goes wrong, but kind of like these guys, it's four or five things that are going wrong. The three disciples are up on top of the mountain with Jesus, and they're having an, an amazing, memorable time. And the other nine disciples are down at the foot of the mountain dealing with a whole bunch of mess. Here's an important point that I want to establish. If you're taking notes, write this down. When you follow Jesus, you will have some glorious moments and you will have many gritty moments. I'm into full disclosure, and this is full disclosure. If someone tells you that following Jesus means you are going to go from one glorious moment to the next, don't believe them. There will be glorious moments there will be some powerful interactions and some amazing things that you will experience, that you will observe, that you will be a part of, that God will involve you as a part of that miracle. You will have some glorious moments, but let me tell you, in between there's going to be a whole lot of gritty moments. Why? Because we're living in this world. There's a lot of people right now that are dealing with the gritty moments. As you follow Jesus, you will have some glorious moments, and you will have many gritty moments. And by the way, by the way you might even have some, on, some of both on the same day. And there will be seasons that you go through. I don't like to say this, but I must say this. There will be seasons that you go through that seem to have almost no glory and almost all grit. Days where you say, Lord, I'm dealing with the gritty. I could use a little bit of glory. Not self-glory. I, I, I just, I, I want something amazing to happen. And I'm dealing, it seems, in this season just with the gritty. There's one more thing, again, if you're taking notes, that I want you to remember, and that is this. Jesus will be at the center of both of them. When you follow Jesus, you will have some glorious moments, and you will have many gritty moments, and Jesus will be at the very center of both moments. Up on the mountain, we take you back there for just a moment to the happy place. Up on the mountain, it was Jesus who was physically changed. It was Jesus who captured the disciples' attention. Peter briefly got hung up on Moses and Elijah, but for the most part, it was, it was Jesus who was the center of their attention. It was Jesus that Mos, to whom Moses and Elijah spoke. It was Jesus that God spoke about from heaven. Jesus, up on the mountain, Jesus was the center of attention. The people who lived in the present, Peter, James, and John, the people who lived from the past, Moses and Elijah, and the one who was eternal. All of their attention was on Jesus. He was at the very center of those moments, the glory. And, and, and by the way, he, he is. He is the very center of who we are. He's at the center of everything. But also here at the foot of the mountain, 
Later on, in you know, verse 14 and following, at the foot of the mountain, in the grittiness, I want you to understand that Jesus was also there. We don't have a problem understanding Jesus in the glorious moments being at the center, but Jesus was there in the gritty moments as well. The Bible records, and we read it here a moment ago, the nine disciples were thankful to see him. Boy, were they thankful to see him. I, th- I think when they saw Jesus, they went, oh good, I am so glad you're here. Would you deal with this? The disciples were overjoyed to see him. The crowd, it says, ran to him. The boy's father implored him. And we'll look at the rest of this story next Sunday. The demons within the boy were subject to him. Even here, even in this terrible, difficult, gritty, messed up part of this story, especially there in that place, in the hard moments of humanity, Jesus is still the center of attention. Let me say that again. In the hard moments of humanity, Jesus is still at the center of attention. I've been watching the news. I'm sure you have as well. We're seeing some devastation that has taken place a week ago in, in Texas and What's happening today in Florida, what's happened in Puerto Rico, and what's happened in Cuba, and what's happened in the Caribbean through all these storms. And, and, and I'm reminded how when I was nine years old, our home was destroyed by a terrible flood, and, and our business was destroyed. And, and yet I look back on that, even though I was a boy, I can look back on that, and I know that Jesus was still there in the middle of that. And when those things happen, and they're hard, and they're difficult, I I, I want you to know that in those difficult moments, Jesus is still there. As I was studying this text, reading it and rereading it, I don't know, I should count sometimes how many times I just go through and again and again and again this text where I almost, I don't have it memorized, but I'm so familiar with it. But as I'm reading it, I was again reminded as I was reading this text, I was again reminded that this is why we are called to love God and love people and share Jesus Christ. This is why. Not so much because of the glory moments, though they are real and they are powerful, I think we experienced a little bit of a glory moment this morning as we were praising the Lord and lifting Him up. I sensed His presence, and so did many of you. That's a, thank God for those glory moments. I, I, I can look back at my life. You can look back in your life and thank God for those glory moments. But, 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 I thank Him that one of the reasons why we do what we do are not just because of the glory moments, but even more so because of the gritty moments. We are His ambassadors. The Bible says that we are His emissaries. We are His representatives. And we are called, let me say this again, we are called to engage the painful and the messy and the extremely difficult things in our world. Again, We are called to engage the painful and the messy and the extremely difficult things in our world. We will have some amazing moments, but that is not why we're here. We will have all of eternity in heaven together, and it's going to be one long, unbroken, amazing series of event after event. But while we are here, we are called in as many ways as possible to bring Jesus into the middle of this world that is absolutely hopeless without Him. Many of you are are going to work very hard. Let me just give you one example of this. A couple of examples. 
Many of you are, you, you heard the announcement earlier, many of you are going to work very hard this week to prepare and present a bunch of clothing and household items for the Care and Share giveaway. And some of you aren't going to be involved at all, and you're not even going to give a thought to it, and you need to repent. Now, now, yeah, there's a little bit of humor there, but there's a lot of seriousness there. Because I'm not, I'm not trying to guilt. I don't, I don't operate that way. I'm not guilting anybody into being involved in it. I'm simply saying that whether we give something or we organize something or we love on someone as they're picking up something or as we pray for that, I think we should all be involved. Every one of us. If you're not going to be here, at least pray for it. And say, oh Lord, do something powerful today. Because there's going to be people there who are dealing with the gritty, they're dealing with the painful things, and we have an opportunity to be a part of that. Again, full disclosure here. Uh, 20, 25 years ago, my wife and I were pastoring someplace else, and I, I remember thinking, oh Lord, I would just, I would love to have some kind of a thing where we just like give things to people, where we just give it and and uh, our, the church there where we were pastoring grew, but we never got to the point where you could really do that. Not that you have to be really huge, but we were a nice-sized congregation. But I just thought, well, that'd be one. And then God called us here, and I found out that there a couple of years that had been going for this thing where they just people give, and then we give it away. Now, now, and I was ex- like really excited, but but I have to tell you, the first couple of years, I really had a hard time with it because um, I won't go into all the details, but part of it is, I suppose the my worldview and, and I, 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 the way that I, I viewed some people, I was just kind of like, you know, we'll do this, we'll, but I'm not really going to engage the people that come. Um, I'm not really going to engage them. I'm just going to, you know, I'm going to help organize and I'll haul some stuff and I'll clean up afterwards, but I'm not really necessarily going to engage. And then the Lord really began dealing with me and said, you know, um, I'm bringing these people here and you need to engage them and not just, you know, stand off at a distance, but actually be a part. And I started engaging them, and, and our church, uh, much, we're much more engaged now. It's not just giving away. We have people connecting with people, and uh, this is not a part of the message to promote that. I'm, I'm simply saying that this is an example. Many of you are going to be very involved with that, and it's not because you just want to clean out your closet, but it's because we want to deal with, we want to do something to help a world that is, that is extremely gritty and painful and hurting, and we can do something about it. And in so doing, we're going to communicate Jesus Christ. We're going to demonstrate to them. So again, whether you come, you work, or you you you. Just pray, just fine, stay in your home, but pray for us. Be praying for those who are here so that God will change some hearts. There are people in this church that are part of this church now because the seed was planted many years ago in an event like this. I was on the NSU campus this week. I talked with, talked with some of, we had, we had people there representing our church at, at an event, and while I was there, I was talking with a couple of the guys who were part of the Gideon's ministry. The Gideon's, by the way, the Gideon's ministry distributes Bibles to whoever will take them. 
those men, I was talking with, uh, with the, the two men that were there, one from our church, one from another church. Both of them are dear brothers in the Lord. Those men took time away from work and other responsibilities to give New Testaments to people on any campus open to them. Most people on those occasions are very respectful. Some are not. Some, are become, some people become antagonistic. Some take the Bibles and then throw them in the nearest garbage can. But the Gideons keep handing them out with a smile. They keep a great attitude. And then before they leave, they look through the garbage cans to retrieve any Bibles. I saw it happen. Why do they do this? Just one example. Why do they do this? Because they know that only Jesus can make things right in people's lives. And they want to get the message of Christ into people's hands. That's why we do it. Some of you here this morning, some of you here today, I know, have shared Christ with people on your job site. And you've been warned or you've been reprimanded because of it. I I know why you did it. I know why you didn't do it. You didn't do it because you like to get called in. (laughs) You didn't do it because you want to be, you know, in in, in a perceived adversarial position at your job site. You didn't do it because you like to be called in. You did it and you keep doing it because you know that only Jesus can bring hope into hopelessness. It's because, because, you know what, I know what God can do on the mountain and He's powerful and He's glorious and He's pure and He's wonderful and oh, I just love what God does on the mountain. (coughs) But you're engaged with what He's doing at the foot of the mountain because Jesus is there. I have to tell you that there are times when I would rather not engage in this world so much. I have to tell you that. There are times when I would just rather not engage in this world so much. There are times when I, at the end of the day, when I just thought, oh man, Lord, I just, it seems like every day I'm dealing with people's pain in some way and I would just, I, I just want to go to my happy place, right? Sometimes I am... Sometimes, I have, I have uh, occasionally, not often, but occasionally, I have this little fantasy. And here's, here's how, how, this, how this fantasy goes. It is, I'm tempted to withdraw into a, a safe and, and tidy Christian place. I, I want to I take, take a sack of groceries, a Bible, one or two good books, and, and, and uh, 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 two seasons of American Pickers, and go to a, go to a mountain someplace. And just spend time, just spend time just praying and, 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 and reading and, and talking to Jesus and watching a little bit of American Pickers. That's kind of what I want to, I'm just being honest with you. And not engage in the difficult things in this world. There are times when I don't want to walk down the streets of our community. There are times that I don't want to deal with some of this, the, the yucky stuff that people that happens in people's lives that happen because of their choices or because, of, because they're victims. There are times when maybe you're that way too. We just don't want to deal with it. We want to go to our happy Christian place. And it's easy for us to do that. It's easy for us to do that. Now you think, well, I, I don't have this thing where I want to go to a mountain and, and, you know, just be away from people. No, no. We do it other ways. We find other ways to go to that tidy, safe Christian enclave. We associate with the same people week after week. We change the subject when someone shares some of the harshness that they're enduring. We become a little uncomfortable when they start talking about the hard things in their life, and so we just, we just kind of change the subject and move on. 
or we regard some person or some group as hopeless because of a sin by which they are currently bound. And we go, oh, you know what? They're just all going to hell. We watch the news, we read the headlines, we shake our heads, and we say, you know, the whole world is just falling apart at the seams. And then we do nothing about it. I don't want to talk about it. It's uncomfortable. I've got enough challenges in my life. I just want to hang around people that are kind of like me. Don't want to go there. Don't want to engage that person. Don't want to engage that group. Don't, just don't want to deal with it. But we cannot. We cannot. We cannot because there are so many in our region and in our world who know nothing of God's glory. They are clueless as, as to what can happen up on the mountain. They are clueless of the divinity of Jesus. They've not seen what you've seen. They've not felt what you feel. They're, they're clueless as, in, in regards to, to what Jesus can deliver them from. They don't even know what they don't know. And if we just go to our happy place and we don't engage it, then, then they'll be lost. We cannot. Because there's so many that know nothing of God's glory. There's so many people who have suffered so much from the effects of Satan's power. Here's this boy, this little boy who's demon-possessed. His father who loves his boy but can't do anything about it. He hears that Jesus' people are there and he brings them there, but Jesus isn't around for the time being. And he goes to the disciples and he says, can you help me? And they're going, I don't know. But then Jesus comes. And at the end of the story that we'll see next, at the end, at the end of the story, all of a sudden everything's really cool. It's because Jesus is there. It's because Jesus' people are there. There's so many people who've suffered so much from the effects of Satan's power today. There's so many that the Lord has allowed you and me to encounter people who no, know nothing, people who know nothing but the gritty. All they know is the gritty. All they know is the gritty. They don't know that Jesus is so close by. The glory of his presence is right there, but they don't even know about it. A couple of weeks ago, Joni and I were at the library. Uh, libraries closed, public libraries closed right now for a month while they're transitioning buildings. And so, so if you're going to get books, come and get them now. So Joni and I were on my day off. We were at the library and checking out some books. And I was just about done. And Joni said, come here. She was back in one of the stacks. She said, come here. Go over and says, yes, Yes, dear. What, what? I said, yes, my love. Love of my life. What, what? I said, what is it? She said, look over there. In the far south aisle of the public library on the west end, southwest corner, I looked over and there's a gentleman there who's on his knees facing east. 
It's facing Mecca. I wasn't angry. I wasn't mad. And I wasn't scared. But I was broken. There's a man who doesn't know Jesus. All he knows is the gritty. All he knows is lostness. He doesn't know what he doesn't know. He's hoping, he's hoping, in his mind, he's hoping, because there's no, in that, in that horribly flawed, untrue, ungodly religion, there's no assurance that they'll get to heaven. He's just hoping that through, through his devotion to Islam that he's going to go to to heaven someday. All he knows is the gritty. He doesn't know what it's like to have his sins forgiven. And sometimes we're tempted to just think, well, why don't we just get them all out of here? And I can't help but wondering if maybe Jesus has brought them here for us to reach them. So I'm praying. God, there's, there's some, some Somali family or some Saudi family that uh, I'm supposed to engage and befriend. They're at the foot of the mountain and they're, they're just like, I, I don't know, I, and, and, and they have no hope. But there is hope. His name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. So many people who must know, there are still so many people who must know that Jesus will come and meet them in the hardest and most hopeless of places. There are so many people. Oh, and by the way, there's also a whole bunch of, there's a whole bunch of people who have been inoculated with a little bit of Christianity. By that, I mean they were raised in a particular faith and they know some of the Bible stories and they, they hap, this happened to them when they were a baby and this happened to them when they were 12 years old and they're a member at this church and they're just as lost as the guy who's at the library facing east because they don't know Jesus. They know the forms and the functions, but they don't know the person. They're all around us. They don't know the glory. They just know the grit. Next Sunday, Lord willing, we're going to see precisely what Jesus did in this mess and what their part was in that mess. But, so I want you to come back next week to hear the, what I think is the best part of that message, of this message. But right now, this morning, before we're done here today, right now, this morning, I want to pray that the Lord will give us a greater awareness of the grittiness. Let me say that again. I'm going to, I want to pray that God will give us a greater awareness of the grittiness so that when you see the bad things happening, not only in our world but in our community, then you say, you know what, it's kind of like that time when the disciples showed up and it's a mess, but Jesus can do something about it. And He's going to use me, His his current day disciple to do something about it. It might be through praying, it'll be through giving, it'll be through going, it'll be through serving, it's going to be in a lot of different ways or all of those ways. 
But, oh, Lord, not only give me an awareness of the grittiness, but, oh, Lord, what will you have me do to make a difference in that life? What will you have me do? Some of you were offended today. I'm going to say this. Some of you were offended today, and you're thinking, you know what, they all ought to, we're just, we ought to just write them off, and they can all just perish. then this might not be the church for you. Wow. I don't know if I've ever said it quite like that. But we are called to love God and love people and share Jesus Christ, and we are called to do that in demonstrable ways. And so if you look at anyone and say they are hopeless, then you don't know the Jesus that I know who gives hope in hopelessness. I'm going to ask the worship team if you'll come, and we're going to, we're going to, we're going to spend some time in prayer. We're going to song, sing, excuse me, we're going to sing a song that uh, we sang earlier. I know this has been a hard message, and you know, I'll tell you, when I started studying this, it was like, oh, Lord, I, this, is, this, is, uh, this, is, this, is, this is pretty strong. But, uh, Lord, we seek not only the glorious moments and to be used there and then to engage Him in those times, but in the gritty moments as well. Mostly in the gritty moments. We're going to sing a song that we sang earlier, Lord, I need you. Every hour I need you, and we're going to put that on the screen here in just a moment. But when we sing this, and, and uh, I'm going to ask you all to stand, if you would, please. Let's, would you stand with me across this sanctuary? Everyone's standing, if you can. We're going to sing this, and uh, I'm just, I'm, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to stop talking here because I believe the Holy Spirit, now, the Holy Spirit has been speaking to you, and uh, you need to give it to Him. We're going to sing this through. They're going to sing it through a couple of times. I'm going to pray here in a moment. These altars are going to be open. Some of you have really been, the Lord's really dealt with you today um, in a way that I, can, I cannot. But the Holy Spirit.